I'm not sure about where you are, but 2017 here has started off with a bit of a chill in the air and some quality bonding time with the treadmill in the basement. You know, if there's one thing that will get us through this all though, it's the promise of some really great track coming up in the months ahead. To kick off this year of podcasting, we have some really great guests on this week's show. Kevin No from one of my favorite new things on the internet, the brand new decathlon vlog, One Track Mind. He's here. And as always, Jeff Costin, our in-house run pundit, is here to warm you up with his hot takes. Everything is fair game, leadership changes, retirements, U-Sports indoors, it's all coming up. You're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Kevin Noah is a guy like many of us, working hard at a goal, one workout at a time. Kevin is a developing multi-sports athlete, traveling with buddies to events and crushing workouts at the Dome in Ottawa, and lucky for us, he's been catching it all on his regular vlog up on Tracky, One Track Mind. We caught up with him to talk about it a little earlier this week. So the description of your videos um, says something like, watch me run my ass off to become a decathlete. Uh, there are some other yep. fun adventures in between the training too, though. I think that is a really accurate description of what you've been doing with your vlog. Um, I think a mm-hmm. huge part of it, though, is the characters that are involved. There's you, there's Tolu, there's Matt, there's Telvin. Talk to me about the characters. Who are they? And and what are you guys trying to achieve? Okay, so um, it's the four of us. We are, like, the main four guys. I mean, there's a few more people in the group. We've got Charlotte, uh, Sveta, um, Olive, uh, a few others, but sometimes they're not, not there and they're not as prevalent in the vlog. Um, these are the guys that I'm always running with. They have the same pace as I do. Uh, Telvin, he was a pole vaulter previously. He uh, goes to Carleton. He um, studies engineering, I believe. And uh, he's uh, he's a really good pole vaulter prior to getting in the deck. And it took us it took him a lot of convincing to get in the deck. He wasn't as committed to the sport as it takes to be a decathlete, but he uh, he came around and now he's out almost every day working really hard and uh, working with all the boys, which is awesome. Uh, we've got Tolu. Tolu was a sprinter. He was more of a popular figure in track. Uh, had you heard of Tolu prior to the uh, to the vlog? I-, I hadn't, but, you know, the character, it makes a lot of sense to me that he would be a very popular sort of figure just because his personality really shines through um, in the yeah. vlogs. Yeah, yeah, he's a great addition because he, he's really happy all well, Maybe not happy, but he's always got something to say, something interesting, something cool, something different. Uh, he uh, he was a sprinter before, and his uh, his legacy at the Offsa, he got quite a few medals with him and his brother, Colonel Bai. Um, he's a quick sprinter. He's gone sub-11, so that's, hmm. that's where he came from, and he just loves track so much. He spends all of his time looking up track videos, reading about track, learning how mezzos and cycles and all that kind of stuff works for track. Um, and so he's a great addition. And he's also got his uh, his pseudo uh, name, uh, Iceberg Jackson. I don't know if you caught on to that one. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So he's got his uh, his little alter ego there, and that's that's really funny to see. We found these glasses. I don't know if you watched the first video there that uh, Tracky posted. Is it the one where it was Shades recommended in uh, in Montreal, I think it was? Is that is that the one? That's that's not the starting one. That's a few weeks after, but it was actually on the way to, um, on the way to Ithaca. I think it was Ithaca we were going to. I don't remember. Um, we were on our way to New York and we've, 
have a rental van and we open up the sunglasses compartment and pop out these sun dogs and they are just <laughs> awful glasses. <laughs> but Tolu was like, yo, give me those glasses. I want to wear those right now. He throws them on and he's, he comes, he becomes a completely different person when he throws these glasses on. And, uh, we came up with the name Iceberg Jackson. We got him an Instagram account and, uh, it's pretty much a meme account, but mm. it's, it's really funny and it's, it's fully track based. So that's, I love that character. He's, He's a great addition. Makes people laugh. While we're talking about Tolu, uh, explain to me what hashtag crop top 2017 is, uh, because I think there's a pretty good message there. Uh, you know, it may have been done in jest at first, but uh, I think there is a good message there. Yeah, definitely. So, crop top 2017 was created by Tolu. It's uh, he just wants to create a trend, I think. But he, I don't think there's gender equality focus, but <laughs> Maybe there is, maybe there's like undertones of it. There, I don't think that was the focus. It was just to, you know, bring something cool to the table, have something different and new. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't worn a crop top yet, but the idea behind it is pretty cool just to have something different, be different from everybody else and shine and stand above. And we've gotten some traction. I know uh, a guy named Matt Smith, I think he's a, a combined eventer from somewhere in Ontario. He posted a picture on Instagram of him wearing a cropped up, the hashtag cropped up 2017. Kind of funny, kind of cool. It's cool to see that people are watching and embracing the things that we're doing. Well, I imagine that there's a lot of multi-eventers who are watching this, but, you know, outside of that, I think even in athletic circles, not a lot of people really have a full grasp of what goes on into uh, training for the multi-events. Uh, what has the feedback been like from, you know, outside of the multi-circle? You know, have you gotten a lot of people talking to you about the series? Um, most of the feedback is from multi-eventers. I've had quite a few people reach out to me directly saying, I love the videos. They're great. Uh, outside the community, it's mostly been feedback, like likes and indirect feedback, no direct messages yet. And mm-hmm. I have a feeling it's going to grow. But uh what I think is really nice about it being the multi-event, um, a multi-event vlog is that it kind of includes a bit of everything. You get to see the long jump, you get to see hurdles, you get to see sprints, you get to see distance workouts, you get to see a mix of everything. So I think more people can get into certain vlogs on certain days. So let's say we do a pole vault on Tuesdays, more pole vaulters are going to watch our Tuesday videos. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's interesting that way, but right now it's mostly multi-eventers who are coming at me and talking to me and saying this is you know they're really enjoying the stuff have you uh have you talked to your coach at all you i should say that you guys are with the ottawa lions um has your coach watched it all um has he enjoyed it so far yeah so before the whole thing started uh i approached my coach james holder he uh he was a multi-eventer prior to the coaching um i made sure it was okay because a lot of the a lot of coaches have their own uh, workout schedules and all their workouts are kind of, uh, it's their own intellectual property, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, as a coach, you want to, you know, keep your programs to yourself and give it to the athletes that you really want to, um, really want to showcase and have, you know, that kind of stuff. But, uh, so James, he, uh, yeah, I spoke to him and he was really, really, uh, he was slightly tentative, but at the same time he thought it was a cool idea and he, he liked concept mm-hmm. but he wasn't sure how it was going to turn out mm-hmm. but now that he uh he sees the vlogs every single day every single training day 
he loves it because sometimes he can't make it out. He's at work super late or uh, he's got certain things to catch up on. He, uh, he just watches the vlog, gives us some feedback from that. And he also loves the vlogs too. So it's, it's, uh, he really likes it. It's awesome. I also put like workouts copyright of at Dayholder speaking, which is his Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the end, just, uh, just a, a nod to him every single time. Because the only reason we're out here is because, because James is, James is awesome. Awesome programs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you uh, if you caught over the past couple of weeks, but the uh, Tracktown Classic in Edmonton um, sadly is pulled out of the NTL uh, meets. I'm wondering, uh, what are your thoughts on, on this? You know, what if more pros were doing something like what you're doing with it with a daily vlog or a regular vlog series? Uh, do you think that would increase the amount of awareness going into the sport where maybe some of these meets wouldn't be put in this position? Yeah, it's definitely a a hot topic right now. Not as many people are watching our sport. I think it'd be awesome if we had some high caliber athletes doing these vlogs. When you scroll the internet right now for track and field vloggers, there's three and I'm one of the three that I've found so far. Hmm. Um, Yeah. All over Instagram, you can find every single track and field, uh, track and field athlete. And they've got cool stories going on daily, but they don't put it together and edit it into a video. The other two vloggers I've heard of are Cedric Dubler. The um, he's a decathlete from Australia. He went to the Olympics this year. Okay. And Natasha and Natasha Hastings, who just started vlogging not long ago, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and she's got uh, three vlogs a week. You know who Natasha Hastings is? The 400 meter world champ there. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I definitely know who Natasha is. She's she's got the crazy hairstyles. Um, she uh, she's only started vlogging fairly recently. She's up to around 800 subs, but the content that she's pushing out is getting good feedback, especially her workout stuff. She, uh, it, I, I think having more top level athletes. Let's say we got I don't know, Derek Drewhair or something started doing a high jump vlog. I think there would be a lot of traction and a lot more interest from younger ages because a lot of the younger ages tend to watch a lot more. Uh, stuff on YouTube because it's not uh, it's not TV focused anymore. A lot of media, a lot of media is more internet focused. So having a YouTube presence in track and field is very key. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that if we got some better track at better. Well, I'm not a terrible track athlete. I'm not <laughs> uh, not gold standard. Yes, I'll be there one day hopefully. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I think getting more content on uh, track and field specific on the internet and on YouTube will definitely create some traction for the sport in the future. And I would love to be an advocate for that. Right now you're training at the, at the dome in Ottawa, which has, uh, I don't know, undergone some renovations or something, uh, where you were kind of, uh, displaced for a little while, uh, a couple of videos, you actually went to Montreal to do some, some workouts and stuff. Is that something that you normally do? Or is that something that you're, you're doing for the show? Like what's the deal there? Um, that was a mix of the two. Uh, one, we wanted to train really badly. And one of our training partners, Charlotte Gardner, she had uh, rented out a place in Montreal for the majority of the uh, Christmas break. And we decided, like, why not one day, two days out from the actual trip to go there? Just go visit, go get two training sessions in. And I thought also this would be a great addition to the vlog, get a little trip in get two vlogs out of it because we got two two big workouts and then um, also get two big awesome workouts out of it. 
it, it's a mix of for the vlog and for the training, but everything kind of intermingle intermingles together. And I don't know, it, it all tends to work out to be really beneficial for my track career and my teammates track careers as well. Uh, kind of along that, that same sort of lane, do you, are you finding that the vlogs actually keeping you more accountable with, with your training and that sort of stuff? I know you're a little bit injured, but with, with the other guys, do you find that, uh, you know, the vlog is, is kind of a, a diary that is, uh, you know, an unbiased snapshot of what you're doing. Are you finding that it's keeping you accountable in your training? Absolutely. Yeah. That was, uh, actually one of the, one of the reasons I wanted to start, uh, the, the vlog, um, in my, uh, most of my collegiate career, I guess you can call it. Um, I, I wasn't focused enough on track as I wanted to be. I would get distracted by school when school was obviously very important, but, uh, definitely having a daily vlog was one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to write down absolutely everything that I had and keep myself honest about the work that I was doing. And the vlog really does help me personally do that. I think it's helping the boys as well. I know they enjoy being in them and they get to look back at their workouts and see what kind of times they were running. Um, like the HEP, we can go back and look at the HEP we did in New York and just look at everything like that instead of scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and trying to find our numbers and stuff like that. We can actually watch the performance every single time. Um, <clears throat> I, I, do, I do think it keeps me accountable. It makes me think a lot more about what I'm doing every single day, uh, how I can improve, how I can be better. Um, just cause I, I go home and I get to watch the, the whole workout that I did. I get to watch every single hurdle rep, every single shot put toss, every single uh, clean I did. And I can go, okay, well, I can fix this, that, that, and that. Keep a little diary on the side. And then it actually does, does really help quite a bit. Mm -hmm. As I as I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, and a lot of these a lot of these posts, uh, you do mention that you have an injury keeping you from doing a lot of the training and stuff. Uh, you know, how is that coming along? And uh, and just maybe go a little more into depth on on what kind of injury you have. So um, the injury I have, uh, I am not hundred percent sure. I believe it's a stress fracture, but I wasn't able to get into get an X ray in, in time. The extra I could get would be in a few days from now, and I still have the appointment. I might go still check it out. But um, when I spoke to Jeff, my physiotherapist, um, I have one episode where I go to my physiotherapist and I talk to him, and he he gives me the lowdown of what it most likely is, but he can't tell without an X-ray. Mm -hmm. uh, it's essentially a a stress fracture on the fifth metatarsal on my right foot. It. Uh, it was a lot of pain on the outside of the foot when I was in tighter shoes. So spikes were a no-go for a good month or two. And um, my new uh, my new flats were just like I shouldn't touch them because they were a little too tight. I hadn't broken them in enough. Mm -hmm. I think that may have been one of the one of the causes of it. Uh, but uh, that's the injury, and it, it changed the way I had to focus on the vlogs. I didn't anticipate it. I didn't well, obviously never anticipate an injury. Mm -hmm. um, so it had to change the way I focused where I was putting my time in the vlog and who I was focusing the vlog on. So I had to focus on the guys a little more um, other than just myself, which made it interesting, but it also gave me a new perspective and I got to see more of what they were doing as opposed to solely focusing on my progress and my stuff. And uh, ever since then, I've included a lot more of what they do and what they talk about, which is cool as well. I'm talking to Kevin right now from One Track Mind and... Um... It's it's a really great vlog full of 
not just not just multi-event uh training but a lot of other stuff on the side too uh you've like i've said you, you have a really entertaining cast of characters with you is there anything that you've you've kind of looked back on now saying oh, I, w- I wish i would have had my camera on for that moment that would have been an excellent addition to the vlog in years past there's definitely things that i would love to have in the vlog um one shines through the through the rest of them uh our Patrick Arbor was one of our main training partners in the past, and he was kind of our our father figure. Uh, this was last summer. He would he finished his final decathlon, and he uh, he was really bad at the fifteen hundred, and that's that was just the one thing that he couldn't master. He couldn't get sub five minutes, which is just awful. Like it's a terrible time, understandably, but mm-hmm. it would be a huge deal if he had gone through his uh, final decathlon and finished with a fifteen sub five. And sure enough, he did it, mm-hmm. and there was such a huge roar from everybody who understood what the sub five meant for him. It was one of the biggest moments in track and field that I'll remember. Uh, it was so cool. So awesome. And that's, that's something I really wish I had my camera for to watch Paco sub five and everybody scream. That was amazing. So in the athletics world, it was, it was a really big deal when earlier this month, uh, the Eatons um, decided to retire, hang up their spikes uh, for good. I mean, we're talking about yep. probably the two best in the world. Coming from from a Maltese view, uh, what did it mean to you? Um, it's it was definitely a shock right off the bat. I was like, "What do you mean they're they're done? Like they're they're the best? Mm-hmm. Like she's our top hep, and he's uh, he's the world record holder. She's she's got our national record, and uh, yeah, it was it was definitely different to see that happen. I. Uh, I was kind of upset at first and I was like, Oh no, you know, I don't get to watch him compete anymore. I don't get to, you know, see him do any more awesome performances or break the world record again. But I was also happy for the two of them knowing that they had such great careers. They went out on top and they, uh, they did it with class style and they, they did it well after both having awesome seasons with Ashton getting gold and, uh, Brian, she got on the podium. I know people were thinking she could go a little higher, but I think she did very well, and so did Ashton. Uh, from a combined events point of view, good for them. They had awesome careers. They went out on top. That's that's all I can say. As far as uh, as your training goes, what what are your goals? You know, maybe short term for this year, and and maybe in the next five years, what are you hoping to do for your decathlon? Well, short term goals for this year, I want to get a good deck in. I want to get a good score in. I want to be able to walk out of a decathlon happy with the events that I've done. A lot in the past, you it's, it's hard to get a good mental state when you're in decathlon, but it's one of the most important things to do prior to getting into one of those competitions. It's always focus on the one event and then move on to the next event and then focus on that one and then move on. Never think too far ahead, never think too far behind. And that's, that's one of the main goals for this short-term season is really get a good mental space. Mm-hmm. Um, long term, everybody wants to go to the Olympics, of course. I'd love to make a team. I'd love to uh, get my score way up and start hitting some, uh, you know, some benchmarks. You know, go sub fifty in the four, run sub eleven in the ten, start to actually learn how to long jump properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those, uh, all the small things that any athlete really wants to do in their specific events. I want to get them in all of them, of course. 
you have a ton of ways to uh, to contact and and watch the show. Uh, maybe th- throw some of those out there so so people know where to find you. So you can find me on Twitter. It's not really huge on Twitter yet, but I've got Instagram as well at, at One Track Mind Canada, and my Twitter is at One Track Mind Can. Uh, we've, we're also on Facebook. Uh, we've also got a website, uh, ocmcanada.ca. I post most of my blogs there as well. Um, that's where you can find me. I'm also on YouTube at One Track Mind. Uh, you can find me there as well. Got over how many episodes now? I think I'm on episode 53 of the vlog. I try to vlog every single day, but it's hard to especially get one out every single day, um, especially track related. Uh, that's how people can find me. Oh, and don't don't forget you're now on tracky.ca with the best of them. With the oh, best yes. of them. I will never forget that. Sorry. <laughs> that was my bad. I no, I am on tracky and that's one of the biggest things that have pushed the, the vlog further ahead. So I was making social media focus and they are a huge social media focus. Um yeah, no. I will never forget tracky. They're they're one of the biggest helpers to get me uh to where the vlog is today, getting upwards of two hundred views a, a video is awesome. Well that that's one thing I, I... I, I do want to leave you with this. I, I want to know, um, you know, Tracky is such a, a, a distance runner focused site. Um, do you find that, that a lot of multi guys are on there a lot or, or do you guys have a different site? Like what's, what's the deal with that? I feel like the distance runner is the most vocal on the site and there are quite a few more, but there's, also quite a few other people. I've been scrolling tracky for a few years and so has Tolu and some of the comments we're getting are from uh people who are hurdlers or people who are other things and uh I'm I'm finding that it's not solely a distance based site. They have a good diverse uh set of people who do go onto the site. They're maybe not as vocal, but I think tracky is a lot bigger than just the people who are they're the distance focused there. I was talking to Kevin Noah today, who has an excellent vlog on on multi events, and I would highly suggest it if you, if you're into athletics at all, which I'm guessing you are if you are listening to the show. But definitely check it out; it's one track mind. Thanks a lot for being on the show today, Kevin. Thanks for the chance to talk to you, Michael. Really appreciate it. 2016 was a fairly good year for athletics in Canada. There was a good medal haul at the Olympics, some great breakthrough performances, but it wasn't all roses. So to wrap it all up. And look at the year ahead. We brought back the only man to ever order a stir fry at a Mexican restaurant. He is the bronze medalist at our nation's marathon championships. He is our in-house run pundit. He is Jeff Costin. So I guess you could say that 2016 was a fairly interesting year on the track and field front. I would say a fairly positive year, uh, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, from your view, as the in-house run pundit, uh, what would you say that the biggest breakthrough moments in 2016 were for you? Yeah, so like you said, Canada as a team had a really impressive performance. I think if I were to pick one, it would be from uh, Mohamed Ahmed, um, who at uh, particularly at the Prefontaine Classic in Oregon this this May. Um, so he's been solid since high school and steadily improving. But um, he ran 13:01 there, which is it not only uh, took down his Canadian record, but kind of moved him internationally from and also ran to a legitimate world beater. And then he kept up with that. He showed it wasn't a fluke by uh, following up coming forth at Rio, uh, just, just, just off of a medal. And he's still young, I think 25 years old and has a lot to uh, build on that from, but so that's somebody who um, 
with a performance really kind of changed his own uh, his own reality um, and where he stands on the international field. Now, I, I was going to touch on this a little bit later, but now that it's been mentioned, I do want to talk a little bit about Mohamed. Uh, and the other guy of of Canadian distance running as well. I think a lot of people have maybe forgotten about him or, or maybe discounting him, but uh, Cam Levins is set to uh, be making a comeback this year. How do you think that will fit in? I mean, you know, with Mo and, and Levins, do you think they could be competing potentially for, for maybe dropping that 5,000 record a little bit lower? I, I hope so. They had a good back and forth in university and, and they're early post-collegiate and they're both uh, Nike athletes that train out of Portland. But I um, uh, obviously uh, Mo had the bit of a breakthrough while, um, while Cam was dealing with um, just trying to stay healthy. So he certainly has the advantage right now. I don't, I don't know what's next for uh, Cam. He's definitely um, struggled to stay on his feet for a while. And I know um, there have been some question marks around his future with the Nike Oregon project, but he, he's a young guy with a lot of talent and obviously even more drive that people have noticed. So I uh, would definitely like to see him coming back and then, just getting to the level he he was at will be his first step, and then trying to chip away at it like Mo's done in the past year will be next. Both have been on the show, both really great guys, so uh, I definitely agree with you uh, on that point. Both get, get them both back as as soon as possible. Um, Olympic Games also passed this, this past year, uh, 2016. Uh, a lot of medals, well, I think a lot of medals for, for Canadian track and field for sure. Uh, in that, as well as other things too, like Gillis's top ten, um, you know, and and Evan Dunphy's fourth, but uh, you know, huge moral victories there. Uh, what were the big Olympic Games moments for you? Uh, you know, coming out of twenty sixteen. Well, I think uh, I, I mentioned Mohammed Ahmed's, and then I think obviously um, Melissa Bishop's was a big one for a lot of Canadian sports fans. She's another one who's steadily improved throughout her career and uh, displays displayed uh, a, a strong work ethic, a lot of poise, and a lot of people uh, respected the way she handled what was a fairly controversial event, and she finished just outside of the uh, medal count and um, definitely made a bit of a name for, for herself, both with her performance and, um, by the way, she accepted the results and uh, didn't... Um, you know, didn't take shots at anyone. And I think she'll definitely have a lot to build on from that event as well. So those were kind of the ups of 2016, the the great things. However, from there, there was also some, some things that uh, drew some, some controversy, some, some sadness, some, you, you know, there's a bunch of mixed emotions, uh, starting with perhaps the retirement of the Eatons. Uh, of course, Ashton Eaton, uh, a world record holder and uh, Brian Tyson Eaton, uh, Canada's own Canadian record holder. Seeing them go was, I think, pretty tough. But, uh, you know, what do you think that we can learn about this? Uh, you know, balancing sport and life and, and learning from their early retirement. What what did you think about that? Yeah, I don't know if it's so much balancing sport and life in that um, it's some sort of lesson that... Uh, 
people need to be restrained in what they're putting into their sport because I think they're two people that put everything into what they had. I think it's more about, you know, you make time for what you're driven to do. And then I think in their case, they worked very hard at something. They pushed, uh, they crammed a lot into their years competing and had careers on kind of similar arcs or other similar ages. Um, and then I think when they figured out that, that they've given what they can give, they move on to the next thing. Um, Ashton had a good comment where he said he doesn't think anyone ever really reaches their goals, but that's kind of, that's what keeps you going. And that's, what sport and what life's all about. And I'm sure I, I know, uh, Brianne had some comments about how at the Olympic after in the aftermath of the Olympics, she felt like she didn't have anything else to give. So if they feel content with the effort they put forward, I'm sure they'll find new things to push themselves in. And they've definitely built up a profile for themselves. And I'm sure they'll have no shortage of opportunities in, uh, in the other world so those those questions though the the questions of could they have you know achieved more do you think that will really define their legacies as you know maybe not quite getting to that point or or do you think that uh they've they've done everything that they can do and that they're they're gonna have a rock solid legacy that way you're you're never really gonna know when you walk away but i think they definitely have enough hardware between the two of them that they have earned the right to walk away from it, uh, particularly Ashton, who is the IAAF Athlete of the Year uh, in 2015, who's won the Bowerman Award at Oregon. So these are very successful athletes. I don't, I don't know if they were going to exceed what they've already accomplished, and they may have determined that they've kind of put what they can put into it. And there you know it's it's punishing to train for any event and the multi-sport events i think are particularly time consuming i can see why it would be something that there has to be an end date to that you move on to the next thing after the fact mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now i was reading the let's run the other day uh, not mm-hmm. the other day, just a couple hours ago. I read it a lot. <laughs> I'll admit it. Um, where there is some speculation that maybe they might be settling down in Canada, perhaps BC. I want to know your opinion. How many children are going to eventually go home devastated uh, if they are forced to compete against the hypothetical super eaten children? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, if they're in BC, it'll be somebody else's hypothetical kid. So I don't have to worry too much about that. Uh, my kids will have their own set of reasons to go home devastated. But I think I think if it's 1,500 up um, that we're talking about, as we mostly focus on in this show, the next generation should stand a decent chance. But, yeah, they would uh, definitely have a genetic head start at things. Well, I, I mean, high school, at, at least OFSA, is, only goes up to 3,000. So, ooh, I don't know. I, that's another good question. Do you think that they could potentially win OFSA? And by win OFSA, I mean like 15,000 and down. Uh, yeah, 1,500 and down. I, right. I don't know. They might be able to win the Olympics, but OFSA is kind of a different level that I wouldn't speculate on. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, another big story from 2016, of course, was the uh, dismissal of 
Athletics Canada head coach Peter Erickson. Um, it was reportedly the result of, I guess you could say, a, a communication put out by Athletics Canada uh, to media, to athletes, to coaches, uh, and basically they got feedback from that and made their decision. Do you think that is a good metric to use in this case? I think it definitely makes sense that feedback from athletes and coaches should inform the decision. And I obviously uh, can't speak to relationships that athletes had with him, some seemingly positive, some negative, and some very, uh, very publicly negative. But I think in a role that's um, it's kind of hazily defined, I don't think people... Uh, at least on the outside, are entirely clear what exactly what value the coaches do provide, given that track is a fairly decentralized sport. People have their own training programs for the mo- majority of the year that they're working with. So I, I don't think people are generally letting uh, him take credit for all the success of the 2016 Olympics, which is fair enough, which, mean, which means that if there are, um, you know, public detriments against him, um, even if they are only from a minority of the athletes, it's hard to justify keeping him around because um, really I think a lot of what that role is is just helping ensure athletes who qualify for the team feel supported and feel like uh, there are governing bodies behind them. And um, I think obviously it was the – negative experience of certain athletes who weighed in that seemed to have an impact on their decision. I think the the question on everyone's mind after this is, uh, was there a special effort put out to contact Canada's most respected run pundit uh, by Athletics Canada? Oh, um, no, I don't think so. I've, um, I've called them a few times, but mostly just voicemails. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure it's just phone tag though. I would check your junk email for sure. Um, Peter was cer- was certainly on the receiving end of some athletes uh, speaking out to you know the larger media. How much do you think that played into this? I would think it probably did. Obviously, there would be a number of factors that weighed in, um, and certainly, um, you know, he he clashed publicly with. Uh, the marathoner and 10,000 runner Lanny Marchant, but um, it's not necessarily reflective of all the athletes. Some have spoken out positively, but it's, it's like what I was saying earlier. If, if it's hard, as far as justifying your own position, if, if you have a hard time clearly communicating your value added um, and then you're publicly involved in certain issues that are at the very least very contentious for the organization that empl- that employs you. It's good. You've got a lot of explaining to do and it's hard to justify sticking around. So I think it, I think I'm sure he was good for some, for a number of the athletes he worked with and they had great results that he could speak to, but I, I think he at the very least could have used some, communications work when he was approached by the media he didn't necessarily come across in the supportive way that you would think a coach is going to come across in that's not reflective of 
his entire legacy with the team, obviously, but that definitely left a negative impression for a lot of people and may have, um, may have helped tilt the scales against him in their decision. I don't want to which flog- is pure speculation. I don't want to flog this dead horse uh, too, too much, but uh, you know, in my opinion, I think that Peter had some really good qualities and um, had some not so great qualities as well. Um, he's always been great, great to my show for sure. Um, so I can't complain too, too loud, but I think that he was kind of a great character is what I'm trying to say, but it seems that opinions seem to be very extreme on him. It's either you're with him or you're against him. Why do you think that is? I think anyone who comes on your show is a great character, Michael. But yeah, like, like you said, there are some athletes, uh, like race Walker, Evan Dempsey, uh, Paralympian, Jeff Adams, who come out after the fact and, um, been very clear that they had positive experiences working with him so I think and part of what was relayed was that he's uh he's very stubborn and I think that may be what made him polarizing but over a period of time there were certain athletes who could definitely develop relationships with him that they thought were good and where they thought he was able to play a strong supporting role for them and then there were people who butted heads with him um and early impressions matter um so in a decentralized sport like track, if you have are making negative impressions with some of your athletes particularly and it ends up in the media, that's going to inform your public, the view people have of you publicly. So I think it, uh, it obviously depends on what type of interactions you've had with him. Um, that is going to influence your perception, but I would agree that he's definitely, he definitely has been portrayed as a polarizing figure. All right. Enough about that. On to 2017. Um, it looks like a year full of promise, uh, coming off of a great 2016. Uh, I want to know marathon scene. Let's start there. Um, we've still got Reed. We've still got Eric, uh, Dylan Wikes looks to be kind of in between things. Uh, Rob Watson's out there. We've got a whole bunch of guys uh, just in that 220 low range. Uh, what do you see for, for the marathon scene this year? Yeah, I think you summarized it pretty succinctly. Um, with uh, with Dylan kind of between things, and uh, I, Rob Watson took a bit of a step back, it seems like. We, there's a bit of a gap after Eric and Reed, and so... Eric had such a great year coming 10th at the Olympics and Reed uh, at Fukuoka as well, coming within a minute of the Canadian record, um, running most of the way solo. So those guys are definitely carrying their share of the load, but there's, there's a bit of a gap after there and it'll be interesting to see who can step up because like you said, there are a lot of guys in the two twenties. I know, uh, Kevin Coffey just he's uh he's running Houston this upcoming weekend and I think he's a guy that's just really brimming for a breakthrough so I'll be looking forward to seeing that um he may be one of the next top guys um and have to support Kingston athletes but I think uh yeah that may be the story of the year seeing who of the sort of second tier if you will uh runners can step up because there's a bit of a void on the men's side. Whereas on the women's side behind their Olympians, there's a pretty strong group of Dana and Rachel, Hannah and Leslie Sexton that are really kicking on the doorstep. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how all those groups of people progress in the next year. What about that guy who came in third last year at the, uh, at the uh, national marathon championships? 
um, he was pretty devastated after the fact. So we'll have to we'll have to have to see what happens in twenty six twenty seventeen. Um, you know, no big promises yet. <laughs> um, I want to take a closer look at uh, at the women's middle distance area, just because last year was so so competitive for sure i mean like no deeper fields on that side what 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 do you think how does that shake out this year i mean could we potentially see uh three different 1500 meter runners going to the world championships it would be good i say th- i think that um yeah the 50 the women's 15 and the 5000 are two of the deepest if not the deepest events right now um obviously that's kind of just a natural ebb and flow, but um, Andrea Sakafian uh, had one of, if uh, if I were to pick a breakthrough performance behind Mohamed Ahmed, she would definitely be right up there with her 15-17 last year and a string of follow-up performances that showed really similar quality. I think Sheila Reed, who had to scratch the Olympic trials uh, because health problems she was having she may be the best of the bunch uh she just needs to put a healthy string together and then you've got a, a strong group that competed in rio in addition to that with uh jessica o'connell and gabriella stafford uh, nicole Cifuentes. i think a lot of people thought rachel cliff should have and could have been there and uh sasha gaulish was off but she's seems to be in very good shape coming off a national cross-country win so i think that area should be as deep in the upcoming year, if not more so. Um, and it'll be one of the more interesting uh, events groups to watch in Canadian track and field. Switching views to one that was definitely this past year was certainly like a deep area. However, what do you make of the men's Canadian steeple right now? Just because with retirements and that sort of stuff, what what, what do you make of that? Yeah, I think that's part of the natural ebb and flow with, you know, how we have a number of people coming up in one group that we just talked about that eventually people are going to retire in another. So the Canadian men's steeplechase, I think, is coming off of a bit of a golden age. And I I don't think uh, Matt Hughes is necessarily going anywhere. He's relatively new to that uh, Bowerman Track Club in Oregon, and I think may have had some growing pains there, but obviously has a great resume beside his name and fairly young guy that there should still be a lot of. And with guys like Taylor Milne and Chris Winter retiring, um, they're they're big holes to fill, but there are other younger athletes in their early, mid-20s who are very competitive in the steeplechase. Antoine Thibault, Ryan Brockerville, Crystal Hanty. It's not a short list. Uh, So I think it's still one of the stronger events for Canada. You just lose some of the athletes who have been staples for a while as part of the natural ebb and flow. Right now, a very exciting time for the university side of things with uh, with the U Sports Indoor Track. Uh, I guess already kind of kicked off. Uh, Can-Am meet is this weekend. Uh, what are your bold predictions as far as that goes? I think on the men's side, it'll be... Uh, the guy to watch will probably be Corey Belmore, who's last year was arguably the guy to watch in the middle distances with the six and the 1000 in the relay. Um, obviously he had such a breakthrough cross country season that he seems to winning OUA cross that he seems to be on a different level aerobically. So it would be cool to watch him run the 15. If he raced against uh, 
Yves Sikabau, who won the uh, who won cross this year at CIS. I think that would be and has a very good mid distance gear himself. That would be one of the best races to watch, especially because the 15 still means more than everything else. I think. Um, so so that is. Uh, what I'll be watching for. The women, the women's side, there will be exciting distance races as well. It would be really cool to see Claire Summer of Queens, who won uh, CIS Cross, come and try and double up on the track. But I, I, I think she'll probably be focused on World Cross. Uh, uh, so the Stafford sisters will both be near the top of the field. And that U of T team, uh, they won it twice in a row. And they, uh, they've had some graduating athletes, but still have a really solid team. So they'll probably be the group to watch as they try and go for three. I was actually just talking to, uh, to Corey Belmore just before this and, uh, and he seems good to go. So I, I think it's going to be really exciting to watch him this year for sure. He is Jeff Costin. He is our in-house run pundit. Uh, he still has to go for his run. It's getting late at night. Uh, so I thank you a lot for, for being on the show this week, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guests this week, both Jeff and Kevin. Also to Tracky for their ongoing support. If you want to find us online, we're on Twitter at the Terminal Mile. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and of course, Tracky.ca. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. Mm-hmm.